Medical professionals perform a range of actions for government, including signing birth certificates, death certificates, determining eligibility for disability benefits, and paid sick leave. But changing relationships between the state and medical care can put physicians in roles that threaten their fiduciary responsibility to their patients. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Anita Berlin, a professor of primary care education at Barts and the London School of Medicine and Dentistry, Queen Mary University of London. As part of the journal's Case Studies in Social Medicine series, Dr. Berlin has co-authored a perspective article about mediating between patients and government. Dr. Berlin, in your article you describe two patients, a woman who fled to Britain from Nigeria and a child born in the United States to undocumented Mexican parents. How did the issues faced by the clinicians who cared for those patients reflect their roles as agents of what you refer to as the right and left hands of the state? Right. Well, I think both cases were chosen to illustrate high levels of vulnerability. But in a way, the vulnerability is a device because they bring us into thinking about these sort of complex issues. And the first case, the London case, is actually a woman who was brought to the UK hoping for work and was in fact turned out to be trafficked and then enslaved um, and managed to escape. And I think what we were trying to bring out was the tensions in both cases, because in both cases there's a twist where the clinicians are believing they're doing the best for the patients in front of them, but another member of the healthcare facility believes that they have strayed outside of their clinical role and are providing advice for illegals or undocumented and undesirable or unworthy migrants. And so I think the idea of the left and the right hand of the state is the concept that the right hand is the hand that the state uses in order to carry out its administrative responsibilities, such as registration, judicial roles, policing roles, border control, etc., and the left hand is the sectors that are entrusted with the social concerns of the population. So essentially, the sectors that deal with what we might collectively call welfare, education, health, social care. And the state is responsible for the two hands. And I think in Bourdieu's conceptualization, ideally, these should play in harmony like the two hands of a pianist. But what has happened or appears to be happening is that there are times when these two hands are not playing together. And I think one of the issues that we see both in the US and the UK is the way in which geopolitical phenomena are influencing the way in which the right hand, the administrative, judicial and border control part of the state are moving away from working in harmony with the welfare activities and therefore they are playing in tension with each other. So we were using this device to analyze why some healthcare professionals felt that their priority was to the individual patient in front of them, or even to patients not in front of them, but who they wanted to ensure had access to the widest possible support. And that other healthcare workers felt they had to act to protect the health system from people coming in and using welfare or health systems inappropriately. So the consequence is that you find yourself or you might find yourself as health professionals in what Bourdieu describes as a, a painful personal tension between your different perceptions of your duties. And those stories are written to play that out. 
So the two examples in the article relate to immigration and border control. Are there other situations in which clinicians might be acting as agents of a punitive form of governance, including situations where they don't recognize that that's what's happening? Yes, that might happen in information requests from employers. It may happen in terms of facilitating access to welfare benefit. It may be that clinicians may or may not feel comfortable in providing, for example, medical information for social housing or for not attending a court hearing. On the other hand, Similarly, the court may approach the clinician and ask for information that may, in fact, act against the patient. So you're constantly weighing up the administrative and societal benefits of sharing and disclosing information while acting on behalf of individual patients. And I think these stories illustrate what happens when there's a bigger political shift um, that sort of alter perceptions of where integrity and trust and those fiduciary responsibilities actually lie. There's been a shift, and I think the migration issue brings it out very well, but that can happen in other sectors as well. What kinds of legal or ethical obligations do clinicians in the United States and Britain have to carry out actions that the government requests of them? Well, I think that they only have those obligations as long as they've discharged their duties to their patients. So in Nearly every case, the duty to the patient would outweigh any requirements from, say, a police or a judicial or an employing authority. So firstly, there's issues about what's in the best interest. Secondly, not doing harm. Thirdly, is about autonomy and not breaching confidentiality. So you have to satisfy yourself that all those responsibilities have been discharged. And your question would be, to ask yourself to what extent you might be putting other people at risk if you don't disclose. And that played out in a very interesting way in the UK recently, also around the migrant issue, which has been of our home office, so our Homeland Security, actually accessing electronic patient records and essentially trying to identify addresses of people they believe should be deported. And so the concept of confidentiality was very, very different. In this case, the sort of the right hand of the state felt that if somebody's in the country illegally, it was grounds for breaching confidentiality. Whereas the medical profession said that would not be grounds for breaching confidentiality. Only if somebody is actually putting another person's life at risk would you breach confidentiality. So I think our educational and our practice responsibility is to try and constantly reevaluate what might be the challenges for discharging those duties. But we've also, certainly in terms of training, both in the UK and the US, there's a great emphasis on the concept of professionalism. And professionalism is underpinned by a sort of a virtue-based ethic, which is about the character and the moral integrity of the clinician. And so that further stresses in a more general way, even when the parameters are moving around you, how you adhere to keeping the patient's best interest at heart. In both of the cases you describe, it was clinicians, not lawyers, not security agents, who believed it was their duty to enforce punitive immigration policies. So how should clinicians approach situations where there's disagreement among colleagues about the appropriate relationship between medical care and government? Hmm. 
Yes, that has proved to be one of the most interesting and challenging parts of this. I think the way in which it has played out in the UK may well be somewhat different from the US because of the starting position. And so the way in which it has been handled is by two phenomena. So on the one hand, the machineries have been put in place in hospitals to charge patients. Now, this is extremely unusual in the UK because the UK like many European countries post-Second World War, opted for a universal welfare package in which everybody who was in the country was entitled to a certain basic minimum of health and welfare. And so what we've seen is a tendency away from welfare universalism to what is known as sort of welfare chauvinism of actually shutting down and saying only certain people are worthy of care. And while that machinery now is in place to, in the case of healthcare, to charge up front, what has happened is clinicians have, in fact, decided to work together. And as they've confronted individual cases, and data has been gathered to show that this is having a very powerful impact on a number of patients. So we have stories of patients being literally escorted off premises as their chemotherapy was about to begin. Now, that's a very unusual situation in the UK. And so, in fact, just last week, the British Medical Association, the representative organization, but it represents the majority of doctors, voted to petition the state to remove upfront charging from undocumented migrants on the basis that it was putting doctors in an impossible position and it was damaging health care. And it was actually putting the rest of the population potentially at risk, which is the public health argument, as well as the, it's not just the benefit to the individual and perhaps the sort of humanistic or basic ethical principle, but it's a wider public health issue. So certainly that's how it's played out in the UK because we're moving away from universalism. But of course, that move away from universalism is in response to popular concern and a political response. And so that popular concern is also reflected within healthcare professionals. Not all healthcare professionals hold the same political views, but all healthcare professionals are bound by a set of professional obligations. And so in the end, the professional obligations have worn out over some who feel that they have a different agenda or a different set of priorities. How that will actually manifest, we don't know yet. And whether upfront charging will go, at the moment, I doubt, because I feel that the current political regime addressing concerns about migration has become a very important priority. And I think that actually is true in many European countries, and it's very evidently true, um, certainly my reading of the situation in the US. So we will be having these debates, I think, regularly, both in the clinic and in the bigger political arenas. Finally, how can individual physicians ensure that the needs of their vulnerable patients, including immigrants, are met? What kinds of referrals, what kinds of support can clinicians offer? Yes, and I think this is brought out very well by the US case, which is about situations that may exclude patients, or in this case, the parents of a disabled child from access to care, will have health impacts. So they appear to be indirect. The fear of deportation may appear to be an indirect effect, but it may ultimately have a very significant impact on that child if that child ends up staying in the US and parents are deported. So 
In that particular case, the example was of referring on to other types of social and legal advice. And I think signposting to wider advice and support. In the UK, we use the term now social prescribing, so that you prescribe an intervention that helps people actually deal with the social challenges that are affecting their health. And so in this case, the social prescription was to access legal advice. And I think what follows from that is that clinicians could themselves have a better understanding about legal options for their patients, especially if they're in particular communities. I think that the example from the UK of the clinicians becoming organised, there's one thing advocating for an individual patient, which I think fits within general understanding of doctors' ethical responsibilities. But the idea of organising together collectively against policy issues is considered to be in some places very controversial. But for me, it is an obvious public health intervention is to advocate to change policy that limits access to health care and reduces the health of members of one's community. And then there are other areas which link to that, which is greater education and training about where inequalities manifest in the health system, how to facilitate access and to ensure that patients get continuity of care. So in other words, care can be inclusive and also looking for those who have been excluded from healthcare because that benefits everybody. It doesn't just benefit those individuals. So I think that, you know, it's almost stratified. And I think the US case, there was a concern about an understanding about what is the scope of clinical practice. And I think that's at the heart of it, which is that the professionalism and ethical responsibilities remain the same, but we need to understand the scope as including not just the patient in front of you, but the patient who can't get access to care or to address policies that are undermining patients' ability to maintain their well-being. Thank you, Dr. Berlin.